Awaiting our interview with uh, Talib Starks, who will be chiming in in just a few moments. Uh, but and then the, we are the back of our broadcast. We're going to tr- going to um, have our speakers from the uh, graduation, twenty first annual graduation of the Outlaw High School, uh, happening. And we want to announce that we are um, going to have a prayer meeting on Saturday for the safety of America during the Fourth of July celebration. That the ISIL boy, all the sodomites don't do something really crazy and and destroy our independence and celebration day. Um, and we're going to pray for our first responders and pray for our police and uh, protectors and all of that kind of a good thing, right? That'll happen on Saturday at 10 o'clock at the 10 o'clock worship at the Outlaw Wormishner Church. All that's coming up. We already given our report to date early in the first hour and the second hour about our foreclosure happening uh, meeting on yesterday. Uh, and we'll be talking more about that at the worship on this coming Saturday. We got some really important things to say about our plans for for the community uh, as a result of the foreclosure action that'll be happening. Also, at the ten o'clock worship this coming Saturday at the Outlaw Wormishner Church, be logged on to live streaming, and uh, we are on our way to uh, South Korea. That's right. We're going to travel to South Korea and to China. And we'll be gone for 12 days. We will be broadcasting. Sabbath and I will broadcast from, uh, from Asia, uh, the very, very far east. We'll be broadcasting our, uh, our engineer uh, and both program producer. Uh, they have going to stay behind to run the board and to produce our program. But Sabbath and I will be broadcasting uh, the events of the day. We'll be covering the news that's happening around the world. But we'll also be giving you a bit of a view of what we're doing uh, at our travels as well. I'm not sure how long we'll be able to broadcast, uh, but that will take place. Now, we're also discovering whether or not we're going to travel to Haiti at the end of July. And I probably made it reach the decision that we're going to wait till September to go to, to Haiti. I don't know that I'll have the physical energy after being uh, out there in Asia for 12 days to do a credible job in Haiti, as perhaps we all so we may want to reserve Haiti as a time where we'll have more energy and we can do some better planning for Haiti. It's been a very busy time for us with the foreclosure activity going on and uh, the travel, the plan travel to, uh, to, to Asia, the graduation that we're doing, and uh, just a host of a number of other things that Almighty God has laid at our feet as responsibilities and keeping the Manning Report going every day. We thank you for all your support. And by the way, uh, Mike Volan said something very critical that I think a lot of people are beginning to experience. 
is that when you come on to the Manning Report, you pick up your order. A lot of people from my Manning Report then listens to some of these people like Mike Volan, for instance. I don't know if you heard him say that. But we have a, a, a very large audience. And thank God, God's brought us. And we want to keep that audience and want to continue to grow that audience. Uh, I think one of the things that we did a few moments ago, tried to say to people who, uh, and I, I guess I did it in typical Manning style, uh, that I don't hate Trump. I just want Trump to go back to being Trump. That's all. I don't hate him. Uh, if he just go back to being Trump, everything would be everything. Uh, but I did it in Manning style. I don't, you know, bow down and did all that other kind of stuff. And I wholeheartedly and full-throatedly endorsed and supported him. I don't have to hide my feelings now about whether or not I think he's on the right track. So, uh, you know, we did it Manning style, and that's how Manning does things, and that's how Manning going to do things. And that's just how that is. But something more important is happening right now. We've got uh, award-winning author uh, and, um, and, and leader of the calls for people here in America and around the world, uh, Mr. Tarly Starks, whose most recent book, Black Lies, L-I-E-S, Matters, uh, on the line with us now. And uh, Mr. Starks, how are you, sir? Greetings, Pastor. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm great. Happy to be on the line with you. Oh, it's it's great to uh, to 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 have you on online with us today. Uh, I understand we have a mutual friend and brother, uh, Mr. Gavin McInnes. Uh, you've been on his broadcast a few times, and I've been there as yeah. well. I understand. Yeah, he's a uh, he's been one of my early supporters, and um, and, and I appreciate all that he's done to help elevate the message and probably reach people and help spread to reach people that I may not have been able to reach on my own. So I'm, I'm thankful. I'm always thankful to have allies, allies such as you and guys like Gavin McInnes because I'm doing the dirty work. And most of the times when, when you're doing dirty work, you usually do it alone. Um, people usually want to help once they see the results of something coming to fruition. But when you're on ground level doing the work, it's usually a solo endeavor. Well, I got to tell you, he wrote an extraordinary forward for uh, this bestseller, this bombshell book, Black Lives Matter. And uh, I'm indebted to him just for writing for you. Listen, uh, 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 Tali, I've I've read your previous books, and we've had you on the Manning Report before. uh, But I got to tell you, this is a prolific piece of, of writing, of literature, um, a cultural history, an in-depth look at black lives. And from the perspective of Negroes to slaves to Uncle Toms to the, the race grievance industry, yes. uh, your ability to identify is, is, is stellar. Uh, what's happening in the community. And uh, we talked about how we're going to conduct this interview today. But why don't you tell us a little bit about what you mean when you say the race grievance industry, if I'm pronouncing grievance industry. What what do you mean by that, race grievance industry? What does that mean? Well, you know, I have to uh, confess that this industry, quote-unquote industry, has been around uh, for before I was born, before you were born. In fact, Booker T. Washington was uh, amongst the first to notice 
and and document this movement as the nemesis uh, that it is. Uh-huh. And he he mentioned that there's a there's another class of colored people who make a business of keeping the troubles, the wrongs, and the hardships of the Negro race before the public. And he basically says, outside of that, in addition to that, is that this is how they make a living, and by creating grievances. Uh, they, they are doctors who have to uh, create an illness in order to keep a job. Right. And so, so with that, a hundred years later, I see that the industry, uh, the racial, racial grievance industry has grown stronger. And, and I, I attribute it to the fact that it has this culture that is uh, infecting America, this politically correct climate, the spread of uh, unchecked liberalism. And uh, until so I had to write about it, and, you know, it, and this grievance industry is really uh, a, a part of a larger... Well, you, you know, I, I I I stated that the what I, I said is how did I say it? Not as perfectly as you, but that the civil rights movement is a cottage industry. That is to say, sure. that you know, we, once we were Negroes, blacks, African Americans, whatever it is you want to refer, whatever the flavor of the day is, or what the color. I think you say whatever. <laughs> I think your statement is whatever the color of the day is or the week. I think your, your statement. I'm, I'm going to steal that and use that from now on. So when people hear me use that, I know I stole it from you. But you know, uh, the deal is is that uh, we we don't manufacture airplanes. We don't make guidance systems. We don't. You know, we don't have a lot. We don't do Gucci suits and Chanel suits and big department stores. Our leaders specialize in the race industry. That's, yes. Yeah, that, that's yes. what we do. You know, we yes, make money. <laughs> that's how we make our money. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> but, you know, people say that the, the, uh, the manufacturing industry has left the black community. And, yeah. I, and I say, no, we manufacture victimhood. <laughs> right. We, we it, and we're the world's probably lead the world in, in manufacturing victimhood. And uh, it, along with the prison industrial complex, military industrial complex, and even the uh, academia industrial complex that people are talking about. No one, I mean, they talk about those things emphatically and, and loudly. But when it comes to the race industrial complex, people whisper. And it's because mainly white people, and they whisper about it because... No one wants that label of being called racist for seeing what is actually occurring. And that, to me, is the problem. Um, yeah, and, 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 and you, you point that out so wonderfully in this book. I recommend if you, that if you read anything this year, in fact, if you read anything during this political season before... Before the prime, before the, the the conventions can be held in Philadelphia and also in Cleveland, you need to read Black Lies, not Black Lives, not Black Lies Matter, written by Starley Starks, it, yes. it, a, a, a prolific. So, it, and it's, it's, it's right now, it's a number one bestseller on Amazon.com. Yes. I'm coming back to that, but but now this race grievance industry, one of the more prolific persons in this industry. I, he may have done it better than Jesse Jackson has been Al Sharpton. Al, you call him Al. <laughs> you call him Al the Shakedown guy, right? Yeah, Shakedown Al, oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and I also, I mentioned in the book. I, I say, I mean, he, you're right. His rec, his track record, is phenomenal. And I believe that 
other members of the grievance uh, industry use him as an example of, of aspiration. This, if, if we're going to make money, we got to do it like Al does. Because no one does it better than uh, Shakedown Sharpton. <laughs> so, so, but but uh, overall, I believe that uh, what he's doing, uh, he's allowed to do that in this climate. And that's what's, what's so sickening about what's happening, is that he's allowed to do things. For example, I've sold, last year I've sold a lot of books. And <clears throat> I'll be damned if I didn't file my uh, taxes with the IRS. Right. But this guy, he owes millions of dollars, but somehow he's able to move with, uh, with the community. And then a little guy like me, they wanted their money immediately. Or, or anybody, their, their, you know. Or anybody else. And, and, and you point out in this book, you name names. You name the major corporations that put yeah. millions of dollars into Sharpton's coffers uh, just so that he doesn't lay, raise his voice in protest against them. This Absolutely. Is, and, 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 and the beat goes on. Uh, but He's you know, very you, effective, Mark. I'm very the guy, and, and, I give, uh, and I have to shake his hand because he's excellent at doing the, the shakedown. And those companies are, are fearful of, of him. And, and I never thought that the IRS would be amongst those, uh, those, those corporations to, who would bow uh, to this clown, but they, but so. It's but you know, one of the things about this book, and uh, you know, you, you you you've got to read it if you want to understand what's happening in our nation. Uh, we we got a major issue going on with race problems, and it has not. It's gotten worse. It's exacerbated. Yes. And if you want to understand it, uh, people, you, you got to read this book. Black Lives Matter. You, you, it, it is well written. I have, I mean, I've read a lot of books. I've, I, yeah, and I've studied a lot of different writers and philosophers and thinkers. This book is so well documented. You won't be able to put it down once you pick it up. Because, and it brings out information. Talib, you talk about how the the the, the D.C. Washington D.C. Council, probably led by the race grievance industry and, and those liberal bleeding hard white folk that are paying people in the hood in Washington, D.C. Not to, not to commit crimes. Is that right? I mean... Yeah, they, they passed, the city council passed the legislation uh, to pay people uh, not to commit crimes. I mean, it's, it, it has since, since the book has been published, the, uh, uh, I, they didn't move forward with it. The, the mayor, um, I believe the mayor, under in, uh, pressure, uh, didn't go along with it, so it stalled. Uh, and it's, that that legislation is, is a copy from Richmond, California, where they actually have that same um, let, uh, they have that same practice, but it's in effect. And they, what they do is they, they basically pay you not to uh, victimize taxpayers. Because that's who's paying for this at the end of the day, is taxpayers. Okay, so, so they're paying non-taxpayers not to criminalize taxpayers. It's, it's basically mob paying the mob not to come and break the windows at the store or disrupt business. Is, and is, it's a, that's a Democrat uh, reward bad behavior tactic. Is the, the are the payments to the to the to the criminals uh, greater than what they could? 
scourge as criminals out there in Washington stealing TVs or robbing anyone else selling <laughs> dope. I don't, I don't think you made that point. But interesting. It's free money to be, at the end of the day for them. You know, I think the one thing I think about this book I found, uh, and I haven't been able to read all of it, and I do plan to do so. Uh, is that it's balanced because you know one can say about you and about me we 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 hate ourselves we hate our race we hate our people we hate our leaders except you know you know the routine what they do yeah sure uh that we're always beating up on our people and one thing after the other well you point up as well i think in one of your blacks wait longer to cross the road uh and i'll, I'll you know a little funny a little funny piece before that you said why did the chicken cross the road? Question mark. I don't know. But if the following study has any merit, the chicken definitely crossed the road faster than a black person, unless the black person was chasing the chicken. <laughs> but, but that's that's just a little antidote. Here's where you point. You point. There's a study's been done, right? You pointed yeah. up. There's a study that's been done that says that black people have to wait 32 percent longer at a crosswalk. Than white people before drivers will yield to them. Tell me what do you mean by that? That and and that I, I put those studies in just to show the reach of the, the race grievance industry and the and and, and the impact that had. I mean, even on university that that study was conducted by Emory University, which is probably the preeminent university of grievance professors. Uh, you. It, it's it's astounding the the amount of professors that are uh, that, that teach at their school who are successful, um, tenured, uh, living the American dream, but at the same time they have a vendetta against America, and it makes no sense. And and so I, I show the, that study and other studies uh, white people get better sleep than black people. Right. Uh, yeah, you did. Right. Right. Uh, 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 we we are. We're, as far as weight, uh, it affects black people. Racism is the reason why black people are heavier than white people. I mean, there's just so many asinine studies out there, but the race grievers industry uses those studies to uh, perpetuate the, the, the victimhood uh, that permeates but, the black community. But you also, and, in, that, in that study, you pointed up how... Uh, these professors of the Emory University swords and the Sharptons and others, how they are living the American dream. They're living yeah. that dream. Yet, they're saying that it's not possible to their constituents to keep them angry, to keep them rioting. I mean... It's, it's mind-boggling. It is. And, and, and people are buying it. Here they are. Be, yeah, I'm, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. No, you, you probably on the same, uh, same vein. It, it's... These professors uh, uh, um, with this university, and that, and that's a school that I'm, I'm personally I'm looking into more. I'm not going to. I may write an article about it, but uh, about the school itself. But it's uh, it, it it basically what it does is it, it tells it tells black people specifically that you're not you can't do better. Yeah, that's um, what it says. That's what they say. You can't yeah. do better. Right. You know, it's, it's what they say is the, the soft bigotry of low expectation. So since you can't do better, we don't expect better. And guess what? Here are some studies to show why you can't do better. Someone has their hand around your throat. It's a visible hand. You'll never see it, but it's there. And trust me, the trust us is there. And, and it's the reason why 
you're not excelling. There's a reason why your neighborhoods look the way they do. There's a reason why our cities and schools look the way they do. Because that invisible hand, which is around your neck. And by the way, that invisible hand is white. It's translucent. You can't even, you can't see it. But trust us, it's there. And, and we, and, 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 and you look at the results in the black community, uh, it, it's, that's probably the number one, that's the number one excuse for failure is, is, uh, you know, is it, we, yeah, and the, the professors are telling us that we are telling them, not me, that you can't succeed. While at the same time, they are succeeding. And, and then you've got you, know, you talked about the uh, whites passing as blacks, and of course the uh, the president of the chapter, the Virginia chapter of the NAACP, during the Michael Brown event, said we need to think about this thing logically rather than racially. And uh, was excoriated by the whole yeah. co- whole community. Don't say that. <laughs> Don't speak Those that kind of truth. Uh, Don't speak that truth. You know, <laughs> be racial think, about everything. Think logically instead of racially. Though that that's a those are, those are fighting words. And he soon learned that those words were never to be uttered again. Yeah, he learned his lesson. And most people uh, in those positions where they're based on race where uh, black identity supersedes anything else, the black pathology, black problems, issues, none of that matters. What matters is being black first. And and if you want to talk about black problems, you better do it behind closed doors uh, because that's probably the only way to, well, actually, that's the only way to do it. Uh, and he uh, learned ta- his lesson. Talib, um, several years ago, about 10 years ago, I, you know, put out a call to debate Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, I don't know, T.D. Jakes, a bunch of these race professionals at the Apollo Theater. And I stated that I'd debate them by myself. They, I'd take all ten, I think it was, I named. <laughs> Even Farcon. Uh, and that people like Jesse Jackson should be brought before a community tribunal and put on trial for the number of deaths, incarceration, uh, the misery index that he has sown across, if you will, Negro and black America. And you have written in, in, in this book about the mortality rates, the birth rates, the abortions, the imprisonment, uh, the failure to rise, all because of this race grievance industry keeps telling people that they can't. So in effect, as Jesse Jackson and the Al Sharptons and he, Jesse's kind of moved from the scene, what they have done is that they have made life worse for their so-called constituency, and they have created deaths that they literally can be mortalities associated with the policies of people like Sharpton and Jackson and Obama. Is that what I hear you saying? That is. That is, you said it with 100% accuracy. But that's their job. That's how they create incomes. And when I say, uh, when they talk about black lives matters, they're talking about black financial livelihood matters because that's really what they're fighting for. They're fighting for black financial livelihoods. And so they keep the wheel spinning of, uh, of, 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 about blaming others for our conditions, and it works. It's, it's effective, 
and they've even bred this new age generation of um, uh, of, of um, race hustlers to pick up the mantle. And so this wheel is going to spin uh, for, I mean, I can't see it in the, in the foreseeable future. I just see the wheel spinning more and more because it's getting bigger. And then, the, the, in fact, the gentleman just spoke on uh, BET Awards, or the EBT Awards, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and he, 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 he mentioned the... Uh, you know, he spoke as if he was suffering from what they call post-traumatic slave syndrome. You know, he's another guy. Mother is white. Yeah. yeah and, but when you have ambassadors now where it's just anyone who has a pinch of blood, black blood is now the ambassador of the movement. And I talk about that in the first chapter. Yeah, you do. Where no, you do. You see that, that you know, your Rachel Dolezals and, and right. Sean King. And, in fact, the head of the Congressional Black Car- uh, Carcass, Caucus, I always get that wrong when I talk about the Congressional Black Caucus. Caucus. <laughs> I'm not saying caucus, C A R. Caucus, right? Yeah, it's, no, it's a caucus. It's a it's a caucus. Okay, <laughs> you're caucus right. Caucus as in dead. Uh, okay. But anyway, G <laughs> W Butterfield is, is the head of the uh, of the C B C, and he and he looks like the guy Jesse Williams who spoke at the E B T Awards. Yeah. So, so I mean, this is we. This is where we are. It's, the legs are they're growing. The tentacles are growing and, and, and beyond control. And I think what we're doing, talking, and hopefully reaching on this, inspire people to fight back, or else we're doomed. We're doomed, Pastor. If we don't, if we don't you know, fight back. You know, Tali, Tali, you're you're right. I'm going to have to end this interview in just a few moments. But what I, I okay. want to ask you. Uh, I, I think Gavin stated in his forward that you have a full-time job working with young people, I think. Was it Philadelphia, Baltimore? Correct. Yeah. Philadelphia. Yeah, and, and that, you know, even though you have sold a lot of books, um, it, unlike and some of these other people that are supported by these major corporations, um, but you've done a tremendous job uh, in research. And I time to think, well, on earth do you get the time to do all this documenting research? I mean, your book is not written out of your ideas. What you do is, and what I've read, is that you take the known facts that are given, that are undisputed anywhere by anybody. And you're just presenting to people with a bit of commentary and introduction to the fact. And the, the research on this book is absolutely incredible. I, I would recommend uh, to anybody who really wants to try to understand what's happening in our nation race-wise. And if you want to see black people sleep better, if you want to see them eat better, <laughs> you know, then if you're really interested, this book can stop obesity. We don't need the fist bumper, you know, that they need to pick up this book. You know, uh, the, uh, the this is the kind of book that really is on the par of anything that I've ever read in terms of a social understanding of a people who are flailing and unless they get a quick dose um, of antibiotics are going to die and so I'm, I'm strongly recommending this book Black Lives Matter uh, and you know when you say lives and lives they almost seem the same with a heavy tongue like mine but it is indeed a tre- tremendous. How how do we continue to support you, um, the uh, 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 Talib, and 
when can we get you back on the Manning Report? Maybe uh, in a week or so ago, a week or so from now, to talk more about this prolific book oh, that sure. you have written. Sure, we we uh, well, I can be reached on Twitter at uh, at Talib Starks. Um, the book is on Amazon now. It's exclusively on Amazon because for some reason it, the bootleggers have a difficult time taking it from Amazon. So I'm, I'm leaving it there. And most people, it's the biggest platform anyway, so it's, um, you can go to uh, Amazon and, and, and check it out. Or, and you can even preview the book on Amazon, the uh, online or the physical copy. Uh, are we following each other? I don't know if I'm following you or if you're following me on Twitter, but I want to check that with our my Twitter person to make sure that we follow each other. Uh, because when you yes, put something indeed. out, I want to I want to know it. I want to be one of the first to know it as it goes out. Yes, indeed. And um, yeah, we can uh, let's do this again, Doc. Uh, I, I love I love the uh, the platform. I love what you're doing. Uh, just uh, just give me a call. I'll be on and standby. Listen, let me apologize. You came uh, to our church on Saturday, and uh, we happened to have worship. At then we're out in the courtyard getting ready to have some lunch, and. You know, you just came by, walking by. I didn't demand that you stay and have lunch with us. I kind of thought maybe you were on a mission, and <laughs> I didn't. But I could have kept you there, and we could have talked there in the courtyard. I just let you walk away after you handed well, me the book. Let me well, apologize well, <laughs> for that. Uh, no, no apology necessary. Uh, I, I'll take you up on that next time. Yeah, yeah. Next time you're in New York, I know you come up out of Philly. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but thanks for coming by. And okay, thanks for no your problem. support and love for our ministry. Friends, I got to tell you, you want to read this book. You 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 want to read it, even if you disagree with. It. I can't imagine anyone who reads this book can disagree with it. This this book is a game changer. It it most assuredly is. Uh, I I think that uh, I'm going to recommend some of the people that hold, have me on their broadcast that they have Talib on his bro- on their broadcast, and uh, because we need to get this word out. Again, the book is available at Amazon.com. It's called Black Lies Matter. Right now, it's the number one bestseller. We need to keep it that way for quite some time until this book is in the hands of everybody. I'm going to have our professors out at our school, at Outlaw High School, uh, make this mandatory reading uh, when we start our 2016-2017 semester, Talib, I'm going to make this a part. Wow. Our young people need to read this book. Uh, this needs to be a part of their course curriculum. Uh, and then I'm going to tell them a part of that, the dynamics of their curriculum reporting is that they're going to have to give it to their parents and their friends and make sure their parents that they hold discussions in their home. But this is critical. People are dying, Talib. You write yes, prolific. People, this ain't no joke. I mean, no we're not here just trying to sell. This ain't, people are dying. Yeah. Because of the race grievance industry and the likes yes, thereof, so and um, so so next time we talk, Pastor, let's um, let's pick it up about Black Lives Black Lives Matter, the group specifically. We talked about the grievance industry, right? I want to talk about the, the Trojan horse that's being used called Black Lives Matter to push this uh, divisive agenda. We'll get there. Thank you so very okay. much for your time today. It's been an extraordinary interview. And uh, we encourage people to uh, to go ahead now and, and follow your... Uh, give your detailed information about how to contact you once again, and then I got yeah. to go. At Talib Starks on Twitter. T-A-L-E-B Starks on Twitter.
Okay. All right. Very well. All right, everybody. Uh, that was it for the interview today. What we want to we want to broadcast now in the closing out of this segment. We had our twenty first anniversary of the Outlaw High School, uh, and our uh, valedictorian for the high school this year was a uh, Crystal Prentice, euphoric Crystal Prentice. Um, we're going to listen to her presentation uh, and acceptance of her award as valedictorian. And then after that will be the keynote speaker uh, today. Uh, the keynote speaker, not today, but the keynote speaker at the uh, the 21st annual um, uh, graduation, which will be uh, Captain Salem Flannery. Both of these people are unique to this ministry. Uh, they are extraordinary persons. Captain Salem is my son and has been so for a goodly number of years. Uh, he's my son in the ministry and, and is just doing an incredible job. You're going to be so blessed. He'll be coming up behind uh, Euphoric. And she's my daughter in the ministry and has risen to great heights, has completed four years of high school in just three years after coming from the islands down in this uh, where that is near St. Kitts in the Caribbean. And just want you to listen to them, uh, their extraordinary concept of life and their high level of intelligence from both of these persons. First, it will be Crystal Prentice, who we refer to as Euphoric, and next will be my son in the ministry as well, Captain Salem Flannery. Roll both of those clips, starting with Euphoric first. Peace be unto you all. It is a pleasure to be able to stand here today. As my principal said a couple of minutes ago, I had a seizure on Friday night. And when I was conscious, all I thought to myself was, I'm not going to be able to make it to my graduation. I'm not going to be able to say my speech. They'll have to give it to uh, etymology. In which I don't mind. But graduation is something I've been waiting for for a very long time. A very, very long time. And I didn't want to miss it for the world. So I told the doctors, I got to graduate. So speed up the process. And they told me, we're not going to keep you overnight. We're going to send you home in the afternoon. And I'm here. (laughs) I want to thank God because only he knows what could have happened to me. And I want to thank my sister Prism for being by my side when I had the seizure because I would probably wouldn't be here if she didn't notice. The Honorable James David Manning told me that she woke up and she saw me shaking and she starts screaming. She said, euphoric! And it woke him up and he came in and he saw her jumping up and down saying, euphoric, shaking, euphoric and shaking. And he said, they tried to stop me from shaking so they put me on the side and everything and then I threw up. Not a pretty sight. But... Then I went to the hospital. Everything was really scary. And when I gained consciousness in the hospital, I noticed that my body was still a little shaky, still a little wobbly. 
You see, I almost fell a little there. But um, it's only because of the grace of God why I'm here today. And I want to thank him so much. Because I can graduate with my sisters, with my brother, with my classmates, with everyone. Now, I wasn't, I was prepared for this speech before I had the seizure. And then I had the seizure and I forgot everything I was going to say. I do apologize. Please forgive me. I'm just speaking from the heart right now. I wrote something as well. I'll read it to you, but not right now. I want to thank the Honorable James David Manning. You are the light of my life. I want to thank him for taking me and my sister in and for cherishing us like we were his own kids. Now he says I talk a lot and I understand that. I ask a lot of questions, and I guess it, it's, it's annoying to him, I guess, but um, it would, it's what makes you happy. <laughs> so, and I want to thank the wonderful Elizabeth Sarah Manning for being my mama bear. Now, I know I talk a lot to Papa Bear, but I can't have girl talk with him. So, this is where Mama Bear comes in. And she is absolutely amazing. She has a remedy for almost anything. A remedy for a broken heart, a broken limb, a remedy if you're dying. And because of that, she has helped me so much. But I cannot give thanks to anyone else before I give thanks to my mom. Mom, how's about you stand up real quick? We look alike, don't we? Anyways. My mom is my biggest supporter. In the islands, Nevis, where I came from, my grades were horrible. They were absolutely atrocious. You'd throw up just by looking at them. Trust me, they were that bad. When Elder LaFleur saw them, he couldn't believe it either. And honestly, when I'd bring home such a low grade to my mom, maybe a zero. She'd say, try your best, try harder. I know you have it in you. And I believe that I could have done it if I had the proper help. And I came to Atla to seek help. And I found it within this man, my principal, and all the other teachers as well. Now, they have pushed me to the point where I am so grateful for being pushed. I am absolutely 
appreciative of being pushed to the point where I can stand before you today as valedictorian of 2016. Now, don't you dare underestimate my sisters. These ladies on the front row, oh yeah, they are extremely intelligent. It was a neck and neck battle between us. Jesus, I thought I wouldn't make it. You thought a seizure was bad. It was etymology and I that were battling to be valedictorian, and I had to almost kill myself. I didn't sleep. Honestly, I wanted it so bad. I wanted it. I wanted to prove that not only because I came from such a little island, I can be somebody great. I can show the world what Atla is capable of. I can show the world that I am destined to be somebody. I am destined to rule. And I will, trust me, I will. The next time you hear from me, I will be ruling a nation. Now, I can't seem to top Sade's speech, but I'm trying. I'll read to you what I have here. This is initially what I had prepared. Peace be unto you all. My name is Crystal Prentice, but I am most commonly known by my spiritual name, Euphoric. I stand before you today as the senior valedictorian for the year 2016. It is truly an honor to be in the house of the Lord today, celebrating such a tremendous occasion, event, and victory. What led you to refer to this as a victory, one might ask? This is a victory simply because we are now one step closer to being world leaders one step closer to showing the world just how great Atla is, and one step closer to demonstrating why this is the best school in America. We as the graduates of Atla High School and Great Tomorrow's Middle School are living proof of a, of a brighter future for Atla. During my time here at Atla High School, I can truly say it was a blessing. Never will you ever find teachers who are willing to take the, their precious time to educate students in the best ways possible, like the ones employed by the Honorable James David Manning. My former high school in the Caribbean had been trapped inside a childish state of mind, where it did not matter to the teachers whether you learned or not, just as long as they got paid. Here at the Atla High School, I was able to get attention from the teachers like I was the only one in the classroom. And so it was the same for the rest of the students. Many of us here today know our ever wonderful principal, Elder Lafleur. Well, would you believe it if I told you he has five children? He has five children and a rather beautiful Hamite wife. And he took time away. <laughs> <clears throat> and 
he took time away from them. <laughs> he has five children and a rather beautiful Hamite wife, and he took time away from them <laughs> to ensure that the school stays intact and everyone graduates on time. I would not be valedictorian if it were not for Almighty God giving the Honorable James David Manning the wisdom and courage to appointing Elder LaFleur to being principal and creating such a wonderful teaching staff. Because of their patience and understanding, they were able to push through every obstacle thrown when it came to learning. Teachers like Madre Grimes and Madre Butler made the school experience an amazing one. They seemed rather irritating when it came to the dress code and maintaining order, but all would be forgotten when it came down to the oatmeal. <laughs> now I know I was rather obnoxious and clingy throughout the years, but you put up with me because you loved me. And on behalf of the graduates, I'd like to say thank you. We never would have made it without you. Now I'd sing the song, but... <laughs> and thank you, Principal LaFleur. You are absolutely a blessing, and I do pray that you keep up the good work. I'd like to thank the Honorable James David Manning once again, and the wonderful Elizabeth Sarah Manning for inspiring me to be more than I am today. By becoming a world leader and establishing my own schools all around the world, starting with the Caribbean, I do believe that children all over the world will be granted the opportunity to experience what it feels like to be heard and helped by superior authority, or as we call them, teachers. But before I continue, I must stop and say, this is another gratitude towards my mom. Thank you, mom, for motivating me when I felt like giving up. Thank you for being there for me throughout those sleepless nights. You are truly the Ruth to my Naomi, the peanut to my, my jelly, most definitely my best friend. While writing this speech, I was informed by my younger sister that a valedictorian speech should somewhat be self-centered. However, I choose not to make this speech a narcissistic one. I am only a part of the big plan that is yet to come. And since I have the opportunity to express my thoughts to the viewing public, I choose to enlighten you on the best school in America that helps create a future world leader, a future ruler, and life changer such as myself. To my graduating classmates of 2016, I don't quite have much to say to you all, but I would like to say this. We have conquered the first stepping stone life has offered and I do believe that the harder we strive to succeed, the further the distance is to the next stepping stone. Which is why I advise you all to keep your heads up and hold God close because only he can give you the opportunity to glide smoothly to the next stepping stone. Nous l'avons fait. We did it. Peace. Peace and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, honorable Father, thank you for that introduction. Uh, just listen to you all. Um, I know when we, when we do these speeches and we talk, it's never really about topping someone or trying to do the, uh, you know, the better than someone else. 
It's just more like speaking from your heart. And um, I was really touched by what everyone was saying up here. So I hope in uh, some ways what I have to say will leave an impression on you all as you move on uh, with your lives uh, and as you start your careers. And the reason why I say start your careers is because you, you basically do start your careers now. Even you all who are graduating to the uh, eighth grade or from the eighth grade. Your careers start now because you're basically everything that, everything that you do now uh, from here on out until you go through college and go out into the workforce, everything that you do now, you're going to carry with you. So if you happen to be lazy now, you're going to be lazy when you get out there. If you have to be a hard worker, if you happen to be a hard worker now, that's going to carry through when you get out there in the, in the workforce. And a lot of times it even double and grow. Uh, so with that said, I just want to talk a little bit about myself. Some of you may know a little bit about my history and others may not. Um, the topic of my talking is uh, going the distance. Uh, we've all heard that term, going the distance. You know, it means going that extra mile, pushing as hard as you can to uh, overcome that obstacle. But uh, as, my, as, I, as I walked in this ministry and the more I absorbed, absorbed the messages, I wanted to change that phrase to going that distance. Because when you say going the distance, it kind of leaves it open-ended, if you will, as to, as, to, as to what the is, what the distance is. But when I say going that distance, to me that, that defines what that distance is because I've learned that here in the ministry, uh, especially from the teachings of uh, Pastor Manning. So just a little bit about myself. Um, you know... <laughs> I have to thank God for putting that spirit in me of going that distance. Uh, even when I was in my teenage years, uh, starting out, um, when I graduated from high school, I went to Taft, William Howard Taft High School, which no longer exists. It was the worst high school in the Bronx. They, yeah. <laughs> so they officially closed it a couple of years ago. Um, uh, from there, when I, when I graduated, I... I, I um, well, before I even get into that, I'll just tell you a little bit about my career. I, I do graphic design in an advertising agency, as uh, Pastor Manning stated, and uh, I oversee uh, three accounts as far as the creative vision. So basically, um, the client comes to us, they, they have a product, and they want to put that out there. So I create the visual communications to communicate with the people what that product does. Uh, so uh, just kind of going back to, to high school, when I got out of high school, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and my parents, they were both uh, blue-collar workers, never really, they never even went to college, never graduated from college, no one from my family had. And so I knew I wanted to do art, but I had no clue as to where to even start. Uh, again, my high school didn't even have an art program because they couldn't afford it, so they had just scrapped it. So for me, it was just kind of learning on my own or trying to learn on my own. But as I didn't have any sense of direction as to where to go, when I graduated, I was just looking at my parents, and they had regular jobs. So I thought, well, you know, it would be a crowning achievement if I get a regular job. So uh, one of my first jobs was uh, working at Wendy's. Uh, everyone's familiar with Wendy's. And, um, and that was an eye-opening experience because <laughs> I worked the fryer. So frying uh, french fries, and um, at that time, they had just came out with those 99-cent nuggets. I hate those things because everybody and their moms always ordered that stuff. So I'm, like, frying them and grease flying on my face and burning me. It looked like I had bad acne, but it was grease flare-ups. And, um, 
And, and during that experience, I was looking at a lot of my coworkers. You know, I had coworkers that were like 30-something years old, up into their 40s. One guy, I'll never forget, he was a Spanish guy. He used to always have his collar popped open, chest hair flying out. And he would keep vodka up in the ceiling. So whenever it got crazy, he'd just pop a swig and then go back to work. So, <laughs> but looking at those guys, it was an experience because I said to myself, uh, pardon my French, but hell no, I do not want to do this when I get older. So... I'll, I'll never forget, um, it was a Saturday morning, uh, and, and, and I was watching, uh, I, I decided to come in late, looked at some cartoons, ate some cereal, took my greasy apron and hat, walked into the, uh, to, the, to, the, to Wendy's, went to my boss's office, and I threw my hat and apron on the floor and said I quit, and just walked out, and he's looking at me, everybody was looking at me, like, what's going on? I was like, I had it, and I'm done, and then from there on, I, um, I, I, I researched what I needed to do to get into uh, art school. And I came upon uh, Pratt, the uh, Art Institute of Pratt, and a really high, like, prestigious uh, art school. So when I went there for my, uh, my uh, 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 application, you know, they told me I needed to have a portfolio. And I was like, what a portfolio? Like, I had to literally have a portfolio of illustrations and drawings so that they can see that I have an understanding and concept of art and how to take what I see, uh, process information, and then translate that down into uh, paper. Uh, needless to say, my art sucked. Uh, they didn't accept me the first time because I, this is my first time learning how to draw and everything. So I took that whole year and just grind. I, I grinded like I never grinded before, practiced how to draw and everything. And then I got in uh, the second year. Uh, and needless to say, from there, you know, I um, having that go-to-distance uh, spirit, I always, I always pushed myself to do uh, better. You know, it wasn't like I was in competition and stuff, but it was like, you know, I have this one opportunity uh, to be here, so I want to maximize that opportunity. But not only that, I, I want I to leave an impression on people. I want people to know, like, man, like, you know, no matter what he does, this is, this is awesome. You know, it's like he's got a good understanding of things. And, you know, uh, 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 I always wanted to tell myself that I can do it. You know, because I would always see uh, a lot of creative that's out there, everything from movies to uh, uh, graphic design and print magazines and on websites and stuff. And I always said to myself, like, man, how do they, how do, they do that stuff? Like, I want to be a part of this. Like, I want to be a part of this thing. I want to be a visual uh, creative because I have thoughts and stuff in my head that I think pe- that will resonate well with people. But I just need to figure out how to capture all of that and distill it down into something tangible, something that people can actually see rather than me verbally uh, try to explain that. So, uh, you know, I, I, I ran through college uh, just, like, grinding. I turned away a lot of uh, temptations. Uh, you know, I was a nerd, if you will. So I uh, turned around a, a, away a lot of temptations, chance, opportunities for people who wanted me to go hang out. You know, I had a friend that I went to high school with. I tried to get him into it, but he, it was too much, too long of a process and too hard of a process for him to, to get into, so he got into selling drugs. You know, I'll never forget, he came by my place, and he had, like, fat wad of money, diamonds in his earrings, and a Lexus, and I was like, whoa, and he's just like, hey, man, you can have this, too. You know, it's easy, and I was just like, ah, you know, I'm going to stick this art thing. I, you know, I know it seems like nothing's happening right now, but I know it's going to uh, work itself out the longer I stick to it and the harder I push at it. So uh, needs to say, he went about his way, and about a month or so later, he, he called me from Rikers talking about, hey, could you come visit me? You know, nobody wants to visit me. 
<laughs> and I was just like, brother, I'm sorry, man. Like, I'm not going there. Uh, you know what? Like, we just got to end our friendship because I tried to help you, but you wouldn't listen to me. So, and uh, yeah, and, and, and that was the end of him. And, uh, and I had a lot of friends like that growing up in the Bronx. And I, I, I found myself as I went through college, and the more I focused on my, uh, my craft, I, I started leaving people behind. And people were getting mad at me, like, man, oh, you don't want to hang out with us because you're too good. And it was just like, no, it's not about being too good. It's like, you're about being nothing, and you want me to be, do nothing with you so you can feel good. And I was like, I'm not trying to hold myself back just so you can feel good, you know. And it's true. It's true. And, you know, and so, you know, and I'm, you know, and I, I thank God that, that he, you know, he kept the spirit in me to, uh, to stay with it and, and to push myself because when I got out of high school, when I got out of college, you know, one of the things that you all are finding in college that's, that's definitely uh, uh, you have here and you won't see it in college or even when you get out there, excuse me, even when you get out there into the workforce is that, the people here, they really care about you. And, you know, I, I have to admit, you know, the more, the more that I, 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 um, I got to walk in this ministry and the more I got to kind of hover around the teachers and pastor and see the things that they do sometimes on a day-to-day basis, what they put into you all, you know, I have to admit, I got jealous. You know, I got jealous because I was like, man, I wish I had that when I was in high school because in my high school, uh, they, they, didn't, they didn't care about the students. You know, we didn't even have an art program because they didn't feel it was worth anything. And so the teachers there didn't care about the students. They used to just come in there to collect a check. So if you graduated with a D, that was just as fine as graduating with an A. So it was like they didn't really care about you. And that, I, I see now, like, that, that not caring, you know, it, put, it, it, it just went into, like, a lot of the students, and they're not, like, not doing nothing to this day. I don't even know what more than half of my graduating class is doing right now, but I knew when I was, when I was getting out of school, a lot of them were not doing anything. A lot of them died. A lot of them just kind of end up working blue-collar jobs, where they end up being miserable. Probably my age now, miserable as all heck, but I just I realized, like, that the teachers here, they, they care about you, and then they put something in you to, uh, to, to, to really push yourselves and to, and to really bring your work. Like, you know, if Elder LaFleur or the Vessels give you assignment, you know, sometimes you, it may seem hard, but then they'll push, push into you the, 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 the spirit and the willingness to complete and do your best excellence all the time. And then when you do that, you know, you come out with something at the end and you'd be like, wow, I didn't even know this was in me and I actually did this. This is awesome. So one of the things I, I would say to you, to you all and one of the things I was jealous of is that that thing that you create that they put into you and brought out, take that thing and, and, and like put it in storage and hold that in your heart because when you get out here in college and in the real world, no one's going to push you to do that stuff. So you'll have to reflect back on that time when you were sitting in their classroom, you know, sitting in their classroom and... You, you didn't think you had it in you to, to, to bring out the best, and they brought it out you. And now you have something to look back on, because I can tell you now, like, working and... and one All right, it was an extraordinary able- day. It was extraordinary speech, extraordinary for my son and my daughter uh, at the graduation exercise. Uh, what a great broadcast today. Join us Saturday morning at 10 o'clock for live streaming uh, and present and in person at the Outlaw War Missionary Church for more extraordinary worship and the move of God. I'm James David Manning. And I'm Sabbath Rachel Lafleur. And to you out there, uh, peace, peace out. out.
Network because you can handle the truth. Truth, 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 truth,